Welcome to Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Join us in a sex-positive awakening adventure to help create a sex-positive world. Become part of a movement and start living a sex-positive lifestyle free of sexual shame and guilt. Adult Bedtime Stories is a Raven Slayer production. Adult Bedtime Stories is a show dedicated to bringing sacredness back to our sexuality and to learn about everything sexual. Allow the beautiful sexy creature within you to emerge. Each week the focus of the show will be on a different sexual topic designed to enlighten you so you develop more fully as a sexual being. This is a sex education that you didn't receive in high school but should have. Imagine for a moment that we could change the world and live a sex-positive lifestyle. In our sex-negative world, the process of socialization teaches us to feel shame and guilt around sex. By adopting a new set of attitudes and values around sex, we can view sex with a new understanding, which is accompanied with positive emotions and the attitude that sex is a sacred act. I am Mighty Boy Chi-Chi, a sex expert a life coach, and a sacred harlot. My life vision is to create a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Adult Bedtime Stories. And I have Paul with me tonight, and we have a special guest Hey guys, Sarah from Sex Coach University, and I'm going to let her introduce the topic tonight because she came up with it, and I think it's a wonderful topic that's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> so take it away, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you so much for that warm welcome. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Martin. I'm a certified sex coach, though nowadays I tend to refer myself to myself as a dating coach, more or less because that's how my clients are referring to me. And Gigi, you're absolutely right. I do work with Sex Coach You, though outside of that work, I'm also in private practice seeing my own clients, which fills me up and gives me such joy. And it's in my, my work with clients that I started developing this idea of dignified hedonism. And, and in thinking and describing the work that I do with my clients, I am basically in the business of helping people to become dignified hedonists. So I remember when we were emailing each other and talking about what we might do on this show, I said to you, well, hey, what if we talk a little bit about dignified hedonism and things like busting the myth that hookups are disconnected and 
disrespectful to people because I think that's such bull. Like, I think you can have really compassionate and connected mm -hmm. casual sex. And I see that as just one thing we can talk about under this umbrella of dignified hedonism. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Oh, cool. And I know that for me, I run Aphrodite's temple and mm -hmm. in a very strong way, it is a dignified and almost spiritual type of hedonism. And that can kind of get mm. throw another level to this. And I love the idea of hedonism. I mean, too often we get too much into our heads and not enough into our bodies and into the pleasures of life. And I think that taking time and really becoming more mindful and getting in tune with our bodies can really take us to amazing places. Any thoughts? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I totally um, agree with you yeah. on that. And, and what I would say is that, yeah, like, hedonism in a way is an antidote to a world that, that likes telling people that your pleasure doesn't matter, right? That you should sublimate your pleasure and desires in order to be a much more effective cog in the machine. So hedonism turns mm -hmm. that on its head and says, like, actually, the pursuit of pleasure is a worthy pursuit in life. And mm -hmm. Dignity, why have I combined the two? What does dignity mean? I mean, it's from the Latin root word dignitas, which means worthy, which means worthiness. So what I bring together here is that seeing the dignity in others and seeing the worthiness in others and in yourself while you're in the pursuit of pleasure is a really nice way to live, I got to say. And I love it because in America, especially, yeah. we have such strong roots in, in the, this kind of be a real man and be productive. And you have to sacrifice pleasure to get ahead in life. And we're almost driven to deny ourselves everything pleasurable. And we have this strong work ethic that's, oh, we have to work hard and be good. And if you just get into pleasure, that's sinful and bad. <laughs> Sarah, I have a question, if it's okay. I'd love to hear your question, Paul. So I'm curious, did you go through a period of where you struggled feeling dignified in your own hedonism? Did you struggle between like knowing what you want and want and, and pursuing that and then also feeling like internal judgment towards yourself? Is that one of the reasons you started being interested in this topic? So I think the short answer to that question is that pretty much everybody that works in this space is a wounded healer. And, you know, our, our wounds, right, are the things that wind up making us extraordinary coaches and healers and guides for others. So did I? Yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up in the United States. So you were talking about 
some of US culture, Gigi, and where at least I didn't wind up with an abstinence only sex education, thankfully, like I was growing up in just that window where there was at least a little bit of evidence based teaching going on in my school, but still, like, that didn't make up for the culture of silence around sexuality. And I recognized from a very young age that, like, sex was a thing that, like, I was so curious about, I was really interested in, I had experiences of my own desire from a very early age, I, you know, I, I don't remember life before orgasm. I'm that much of an avowed masturbator, right? Like, mm-hmm. and at the same time, I remember <laughs> un- understanding that that this was in the eyes of others, something shameful. This is something I must keep secret. This is something I cannot talk to anybody about. This is something dangerous and forbidden. And And the downside to thinking about sexuality like that, especially as a really high desire person where my sexuality is as so core to who I am, and it's not really something I can hide. That led to, you know, a lot of struggle and, and heartbreak. And what that looked like in part for me was I got married really quite young to a person who ultimately was not a good match, in particular, not a good match for somebody who's as high desire as I am. And, and, but back then, I didn't have any language to talk about any of this, right? This was long before I was trained at Sex Coach U, long before I had any advanced knowledge of sexology or human sexuality right this was just me being an average person trying to navigate this with the really shitty toolkit that I was given by my society and culture so I hope that answers your question and gives a little bit of understanding to like why this matters so much to me and I can so relate to that because when I was a little kid and being intersex, I uh, got off both as a male and as a female. And one time I was playing on the jungle gym and nobody was really around. And so I started grinding my pelvis against it. And this girl walked in and she said, boys aren't supposed to do it that way. And it just kind of, all of a sudden I was caught red handed. <laughs> She knew exactly what I was doing. Mm. And she she kind of looked at me kind of funny and said, you're not exactly all boy, are you? And I said, no. But it just kind of fed into this whole sense of, oh, you're not supposed to find pleasure. You're not supposed to be, especially in public, in a public place, find pleasure. And I think that I wanted to kind of bring that up the topic of hedonism. I know in Roman times and in Greek times, sex was often in public or semi-public arenas. How would you address that with hedonistic pleasures? So I think that's why you got to add 
dignity to hedonism because a lot of times you talk to people and if you just say hedonism you get this look and you get this like uh and i think part of it is that association that you just brought up but when you add dignity right when you add the recognition of your own and the dignity of others as core to your approach to hedonism then then talking about a setup like that, right? An exhibitionist sexual setup. If you're gonna recognize yeah. the dignity of others, then others need to consent to being there and present and witness to your sexual play. So just having sex in a park, that wouldn't be dignified hedonism because you're not recognizing the dignity of others who maybe they don't want to you know, have sexual energy around them today. Yeah. Maybe that's... <laughs> not something that they want and without having that consent and that buy-in then it becomes diametrically opposed to dignified hedonism whereas instead if you're at say some beautiful mansion that's got these beautiful grounds and you're there because the hosts have organized a big play party where it's clear what happens in different what happens in different zones, then then there, yes, absolutely, you can let loose and let wild and bring your your full self and presence to the moment of, of that pleasure because everybody who's there understands and it's a container where everybody has, has consented to participating in that way. Does that make sense? That's why I oh, think yeah. the dignity yeah. piece is crucial to, to making this and I as agree a hundred percent because this happened when I was a very young child, but, and later I learned that, oh yeah, yeah, we need to set boundaries and, and communicate. And I think informed consent is terribly important when you get into dignified hedonism. Well, yeah, Paul, um, any thoughts? Um, honestly, I was going to say it honestly reminds me of there's a an erotic film festival that Dan Savage puts on I believe it's near Seattle every year that's called the hump film festival and I really love the concept of it and it is film festival where the only way you can attend the film festival is to produce a an adult film of your own Oops, I think we lost you, Paul. <laughs> yeah. He I want to hear the end of that because the Hump Film Festival is so much fun. Uh, yeah, that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> like in order to see any of the films that are made for the festival, you A, have to make your own and B, have to be there. And then those, the copies of that can't be shared by anyone other than the the maker of of the film which i i think is a beautiful concept and i think that it really is a good way to be able to practice hedonism in a very realistic way in a very public way with people who are consenting to being a part of you know the shared hedonism of the group i mean that is definitely one way to go about it. And I think with the Hump Film Festival, they also then screen a selection of films for external audiences who 
buy tickets because I'm pretty sure Hump was online last year when everything went online by necessity. So, but what what I want to comment on because I love the examples that you're you're both pointing out is that one of the things that I see is quite empowering in a practice in hedonism is actually there's no one way that it needs to work, right? It's about the pursuit of pleasure being a high good in life. Mm -hmm. And that can be as individual as the person practicing it. So for some people, you know, group sex or like exhibitionist sex are definitely things that bring them a huge amount of pleasure and come under this umbrella of hedonism. But you know what, like hedonism can also look like allowing yourself to really sink into and enjoy simple sensual pleasure every day of your life in your own house with no one else knowing. And mm -hmm. I want to point that out because I think some people get intimidated when they first hear talk about hedonism because of some of these associations. And I want to say like, no, 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 like you get to decide. That's the thing. It's very empowered and nobody gets to tell you what your hedonism looks like apart from, you know, what I'm telling you is do it with respect for the dignity of everyone inf involved. Because there's also this, this idea, right, that, oh, well, if you're going to be a hedonist, then you're probably non-monogamous and you have lots of partners or you're pansexual. Or you, and I just want to say, no, like anybody, like literally anybody can make the choice mm -hmm. to become a hedonist and to prioritize and valorize pleasure in your life. And it's, hedonism isn't just oh, about sex. It's also about other types correct. of pleasures. So you can be a hedonist on many different arenas. I mean, think about some amazing banquets of lavish food that just is so tasty. Mm. It makes you almost come in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> or one that I love, which is you get in the shower, right? And you've got this warm water falling on your body and you, you notice a place on your back where it feels really good and then you just bring all of your attention there you really focus in on the pleasure that you feel as the water is hitting that spot on your neck or on your back mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. it's so simple <laughs> but that's a mm -hmm. a form of pleasure meditation that i really enjoy well now um, yeah like uh what you were just saying, you know, the last couple of days I um, found this guy on YouTube who's, he's an Italian, he makes a lot of his own homemade cheeses, he teaches people how to cure their own meat, uh, he makes his own wine, he makes his own beer, and like, he talks about the things that he does with such passion and and like every time he tries something that he has made he like swings his arm in this very specific way and like his eyes roll in the back of his head and it's like total food porn but like i've spent the last <laughs> couple of days just like consuming his stuff and now i'm like on a, a kick where i want to make my own cheese and i want to make my own cured meats and i want to do all of these things just because I see the passion he has for it. And I was like, yeah, that I want to sample part of that life. 
And I love that passion can be so contagious. <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing. It's very true, isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I see that often in Aphrodite's temple when I run it at pagan events and Burning Man events. It's like at first people come in, they're a little bit nervous, and and then we kind of do the magic of the environment and I've got the rules posted and all of a sudden everybody starts letting their hair down so to speak and and it it just kind of clicks with everybody it's like oh it's okay to do this here <laughs> and I think one of the things I'd like to say is that there is a beautiful symbiotic relationship between the voyeur and the exhibitionist both are getting something from the relationship. They're feeding each other. And I think that also applies in so many arenas in sexuality. How does that apply in hedonism? So, I mean, that's, that's a broad question. If we're talking about what emerges in relationship with others, because I would think that I mean, and, and there's so many directions we could go. So it's a great okay. question, Gigi. At, I mean, the simple answer, I guess, is in a practice of dignified hedonism, what you're looking for is a collaboration in the service of mutual pleasure. So when you're interacting with a partner or partners in, in this way, it's not about what can I take or not about what can I be fed unless of course the taking is by mutual agreement and is what's juicy for everybody involved but that's that's the key point which is like how do you become a conspirator with your partner or partners so that everybody gets to have an experience of pleasure and it's it's so important because it's it's an ongoing conversation. It's not a one and done. Though you might have a conversation ahead of time where you want to talk about the experience you want to have or the scene that you want to set up. And at the same time, for it to truly be an experience and dignity for everyone, you know, folks have to be able to speak up too and say, hey, this isn't really working. Could we try this? Or hey, my leg's falling asleep, or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some of the practical mm -hmm. considerations there. And and this, this being co-conspirators in the service of pleasure, I think to, to look back at what you'd said before too, Gigi, like it's very obvious when we're talking about the realm of sexual play, but this can infuse your entire life and interaction with your partner or partners, right? Pleasure is available to us in various forms every day, anytime, right? And looking for those places of pleasure is, it, it generally needs to be a deliberate and conscious practice because we are so indoctrinated and trained out of it throughout our lives and throughout our socialization. So, you know, that cycle of feeding and being fed in a way so energetically spiritually pleasurefully I think it naturally happens inside of a dignified hedonist practice because everybody participating comes from 
a place of autonomy, right? They're coming and directing their portion of the experience. And when that happens, it, the, the feeding and being fed is a, a kind of natural byproduct when, when you've got those other elements in place, if that makes sense. And it's sounding very much like many BDSM relationships where negotiation and communication are key. I mean, it really helps to be able to say, hey, I want a blowjob or I want to give you a blowjob or I want this at this moment and be able to communicate that very clearly, specifically without embarrassment and without remorse or feeling guilty that, oh, I shouldn't be asking for this. <laughs> well, yeah, the the simple truth, I think, is that communication is the key to good sex. You want to have good sex, you got to have good communication. Simple doesn't make it easy. There's a lot that goes into becoming a good communicator, and it necessarily involves a lot of inner work, a lot of getting in touch with what is your story, what got you here, as well as what are your values, attitudes, and beliefs about sex and pleasure? Are they serving you? And then through towards being able to communicate your desires, you first have to know what your desires are. Yeah. And so I mentioned earlier that my clients by and large refer to me as a dating coach. And that's because I, I work with individuals who are either single or in non-monogamous relationships and are actively dating or want to be. And specifically, I work with high desire people. So people who have a lot of desire for sex. And the reason I think this is so important is because these skills of communicating desire and being upfront about what it is that you want are so incredibly important for everyone and for high desire people, especially because if you don't have sex as a priority as you're forming relationships, there's so many ways it can wind up in a really painful and difficult place. And a lot of that can be prevented or worked with if you've got really strong communication skills, and also if you set a great precedent for open communication with your partner or partners. And I've often said there's a power in naming. And if you can name what you desire, you'll be able to attain it. Yes. But if you keep silent, we're not mind readers. We can't tell what you want. And so we have to communicate and name what we desire. So, Sarah, I've kind of wanted to go back to something that you were saying earlier about the, the root of uh, dignity and how a lot of it really has to do with wor worthiness. Mm -hmm. Because I know that a, a lot of people, myself included, um, to give you a little bit of background of, about me, is I, one of the struggles I've had has been clinical depression and worthiness is something that I struggle with a lot. One of the things that I've gotten a lot through working with Gigi is learning how to do things based on my own desire rather than 
other people's. Like this is right now I'm alone at Gigi's house for, for a while. And it's been the first time in a long time that I've been the only person here. And I've been able to actually like feed myself every day and keep the house clean and take a shower every day because I find it's easier to do things for other people. And when your clients are having issues with feeling worthy and things like that, what is, what are some of the pieces of advice that you give them to help them discover their unworthiness? Yeah, great question, Paul. And just want to say, like, I'm, I'm a little bit moved by your story. So I'm really glad to hear that you're taking good care of yourself, because that is fundamentally where worthiness is born. You send yourself signals every day that communicate to you through your actions about whether you think you're worthy or not. And so some of these are these things that are simple and are not easy sometimes. So that's like brushing your teeth, that's getting enough sleep, that's drinking enough water, that's eating nutritious food so that you're getting enough vitamins and minerals and protein, fat, and carbohydrate, like the basics. Because sometimes we struggle with the basics, right? And that can really impact on how how worthy we feel. It could also be things like going outside, right? That's one that I frequently struggle with. I feel so much more worthy on the days when I go out for a nice long walk. And there can be those temptations on those days like, oh, but I have so much to do. And like, I got to just sit here at my desk and just get it done. When, you know, what, what am I telling myself then, right? Is, you know, is the caring keeping of me a priority or not? So how I work with clients on this is I have a, uh, a process or a module that I take them through that's called date yourself. And the, the short version is, you know, the way that you treat yourself when you're getting ready to go on a really hot date with somebody you are totally into, do those things for yourself every day. Get ready for going on the hot date with yourself. And there's more to it than that, too. So there's like, I call it four course masturbation, which is like really set up and set the mood and have a session with yourself that is exquisite, right? This, because mm -hmm. I think the way that you put it, Paul, is actually a way a lot of people understand it that, oh, well, you know, I find it so much easier and I feel a much more of a sense of urgency when it comes to taking care of the needs and desires of other people, but I struggle to do it for myself. So using this whole, well, you know, imagine all the things you do if it's a hot date. Okay, those exact things, write them down. That's what you do. That's your list to go through to do for yourself. And when you get into this practice, it's amazing what it can do for people. The way that I see my clients arrive transformed after they've been spending a couple of weeks every day getting up and getting ready for themselves, just like they would get ready if they're going on a date. Like you see a change in people's body language in particular. This always stands out to me where you know, sometimes I might meet a client and at first they struggle to even make eye contact or they're expressing a lot of anxious body language. So shaking hands or tapping feet or things like that. 
and dating yourself, right? Then these folks show up and suddenly they're making eye contact and they're sitting a bit straighter and they're smiling more. It Mm -hmm. makes a profound difference that's so visible to others around you. And it's attractive. It's magnetic. When you're caring for yourself, it kind of sparks off a virtuous cycle is the way that I would describe it. Mm-hmm. You're so right on there. And one of the things I did early on was I took myself on a self date and I did everything for myself that I would do if I was taking this beautiful, sexy person on a date. And it just transformed my life. All of a sudden, I felt much more in tune with myself. I love myself. And at one point, I really hated myself. I thought I was this dyslexic, broken mm-hmm. thing. And by taking myself on a self-date and learning how to love myself, all of a sudden, my whole life transformed. Well, we're to station break. <laughs> Boy, the time flies on this show. I'd like to let people know that we're having a virtual Aphrodite's temple. And if you would like to participate, go to ladyboytemple.com to sign up. You have to sign up in advance. So check out Ladyboy Temple. And then, of course, check out my website, ggwilber.com. If you would like some sex coaching, I provide sex coaching as well. And sex coaching can really make a difference in your life. Sometimes we need someone to kind of help show us the ropes or give us some insight into how we can do things better. It's like Einstein once said, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, and expect a different result, then that's insanity. So try something new. Check out doing something to improve your life through sex coaching. Anything you'd like to throw out, Sarah? Sure. If you have had your curiosity peaked listening to me today and you want to find out a little bit more about me or about dignified hedonism, uh, I invite you to come on over to the website that's at dignifiedhedonist.com. That's dignifiedhedonist.com. And feel free to drop me an email. I'm Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at dignifiedhedonist.com. All right. (laughs) We always are looking to have people support this show, we do have a Patreon page. You can find it on my website. It's ravenslayerleather.com is the website. And we have a link to our Patreon page. Check us out, support us, and give us a little bit to keep the lights burning and keep our show going. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, 
and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to my friend's Erotic Stories podcast, where we listen to the best erotica from our friends online. Relax as you spice up your day-to-day lives with a little bit of naughtiness. Search for my friend's Erotic Stories on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. Also visit us on our slash erotic podcast and help us make our podcast better. And so back to our topic. Is there anything you'd like to add to all the hedonistic pleasures that we can explore? And because I know a lot of times people feel like, oh, I'm the only one that has this type of desire. This is kinky or this is different. Nobody else is this way. What would you say to people, Sarah, that feel like they're alone in their kind of weird desires? So what I would say, first of all, is even if it doesn't feel like it right now, you totally have permission to get a little bit excited because you're right at the beginning of discovering what's possible for you. And it can be a totally mind-blowing journey because one thing I've learned in, in both my studies as a sexologist and my five years in clinical practice is that the spectrum of normal human sexual expression is so vast and things where you might be thinking to yourself, oh, this is so weird you you might be surprised how actually common it is it, it takes mm-hmm. a lot nowadays to surprise me and at the same time i think that's a really powerful thing if if folks are working with sexuality professionals like me or like you Gigi, that you know we hold this space of what can feel like a radical acceptance and non-judgment and part of where that comes from is just because we have seen such a diversity of human sexuality. Whereas I know if I think back to my past, right? If I think back to before I had this education, before I went on this journey, you know, I thought there was something fundamentally broken with me because I grew up hearing that men are always ready for sex. And so then when I was in a relationship where my partner was, frequently and regularly turning down my advances or my initiations, I was thinking like, am I a sex addict? Am I a nymphomaniac? Like what's, what's so wrong with me? Am I hideous? Is that why he's not interested? And I remember how isolating and lonely feeling that was. And similarly, I remember when I started to find a sex positive community that I connected with how, how that just took like a thousand pounds of weight off of my shoulders. So what, if you're listening to this and you're feeling like I'm alone, my first suggestion to you is like, just go type your desire into Google, 
right? Go do it yeah. in an incognito window so that Google's not saving your history and just see what comes up mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we are so fortunate to live in a day and age where we have the internet, where we yeah. have the ability to connect to other people who share our desires. And then it's it's really normalizing when you start meeting other people who, mm-hmm. you know, who have this who have the same thing you do when you thought it was so niche, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think you touch on something that we haven't openly discussed yet and that's the loneliness factor and i know that i went through a period where i didn't date i thought i was too skinny i was ugly i was broken and i felt so lonely and it was horrendously painful and if you feel lonely there is help for you you can get some coaching or maybe even some direction to help you find your place in the world it may not be the same place as me or sarah or paul but you can find your place where you can fit in and in the loneliness cycle any thoughts on this Mm -hmm. yeah i mean lots of thoughts i'll try to keep it succinct because one one thing that really stands out to me and that I care a lot about is this epidemic of loneliness and it is kind of a it's kind of strange right in a world that's more technologically infrastructure wise connected than ever before we still have so many people who report feeling extremely lonely and we see that in you know, some of the the rise in things like anxiety and depression, though there's debates about, is it just being better diagnosed? Are more people going and seeking help, which is an optimistic interpretation? I would tend to think it's probably a combination of both, that people know they can seek help, but that also there's been some shifts and changes. And then all of that got further exacerbated over the last you know, we're, we're recording this in the summer of 2021, where we've had, you know, a year and a half ish of lockdowns and social isolation, right, where that really yeah. just exacerbated the situation for a lot of people, right. So I, I think they're addressing that loneliness, like, what is the antidote to loneliness? Well, it's connection. And we don't as a society do a great job of teaching people how to go and form connections with others. And I think that's in part because it's connected to, you know, it, there's not very many steps from connection to pleasure, right? There's not very many steps between connection and hedonism. And when you're lonely and you're, you're down, right? You're easier to this is this is my personal opinion, but you're more easily manipulated, you're more easy to control, you're maybe a more compliant cog in the machine, whereas people who feel connected and fulfilled and strong, and who know that they have access to pleasure whenever they want, are less easily corralled and cowed into being good 
capitalist workers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think that it's all connected, but for you as an individual listening to this podcast, and if you're feeling lonely and you don't know how to get started, and maybe you're sitting there thinking like, how is anybody going to nobody's going to want somebody who's this horny all the time. I mean, I used to have exactly that thought. It's going to be a challenge, right? You're going to have to do some self-confrontation. You are going to have to do some work. But the message I would offer is that there is a simple and proven pathway that you can walk to come out of that and into connection with others and not in a way where you have to settle or where you have to tolerate or where you have to keep parts of yourself small or hidden, but rather in a way where all of you can be accepted and loved and desired. Like, I believe that is possible for everyone, in fact. Yeah. And that's that's the hill I'm prepared to die on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well said. <laughs> And I, I have a question for you. What do you see as the benefits sure. of hedonism and being very communicative and being able to ask for what you want? Oh, wow. I mean, the joy of being alive, really. Like, the, the benefits are that you start to realize that you can experience the things that you want to experience and that you are able to be, again, like a kind of what I was just saying, accepted and desired and loved for who you are and where you can have these experiences where you do not have to manipulate or trick or use some kind of hacks to, to get somebody to go along with it, which like I will never totally, like, So I understand why people like that mindset. It comes from a place of unworthiness. It comes from a place of thinking nobody's ever going to want me. But if I use these tricks, then I can at least have some of this experience. But ultimately, like that feeling can just leave you empty at the end, right? Because part of Mm -hmm. what we're all seeking in this experience is this connection with other people, right? And I think that's why like folks who go down the route of, um, you know, pickup artist tactics, for example, they're, they're thrilled at first when they find some of them quote unquote work, and then they wind up disappointed and like, why do I feel so bad about this? Even though Mm -hmm. I am having sex now, for example. And the reason you feel bad is because you're doing it in a one-sided way. You're, you know, looking to dominate or like, dominate a situation so that it just goes your way without that negotiation piece in part because you're so afraid that like of negotiation because you're just certain that you'll be rejected like this is where some of the mindset of people is when they get started so like what is the power of learning how to communicate and learning how to speak from a place of desire rather than a place of trying to get a situation to go a certain way like it's vulnerable and it's immensely powerful. Like the, yeah. the rewards of this are you finally feel calm, right? You feel calm and like sex isn't this big giant 
huge, scary thing in life that instead it's, you know, it's, it's a normal part of being alive and you, you feel confident, right? Because you know who you are, you know, you can ask for what you want and you know that you're okay when, when somebody isn't interested in the same thing, because they've actually just done you a favor, right? When people tell you no, they're, they're doing themselves, they're doing you a huge favor because that frees you to go find the people who want the same things you do. And mm -hmm. a huge confidence comes with that. And then the other, the other big benefit is a sense of autonomy, right? A sense of like, I am the driver of my sexual life. I think that's very important in particular for people who were socialized as women or assigned female at birth and grew up with that set of um, social gender conditioning. The idea mm -hmm. that you can be the one who drives your sexual experiences is so important. And I think it's important for people socialized as men too, but particularly for people socialized as women. Mm -hmm. And you touch on something that's really, uh, notice there's a lot of paradoxes in BDSM, but there's also a lot of paradoxes in self-love. It's like when we are able to connect with others, we're, for the first time maybe, we're able to connect with ourselves at a deeper level and mm. really love ourselves at a deeper level. It's when we become isolated and lonely and on our own that we are disconnected from ourselves. And I think part of the equation is this paradox. When we can connect with another person, all of a sudden we see the window of our own soul in their eyes. Mm. I think it's I think it's a symbiosis though too. Oh, because if you're in that place where you're isolated and lonely and you start out by dating yourself, that can then make it easier to connect with others, which can help to more connect you to yourself and it kicks off this virtuous cycle because we're never fully done, right? Mm. Because you as well as your partners and friends are all dynamic people. So you will change and specifically your sexuality will change. Your desires will change. Like, it's not like you connect with yourself once and go, ah, yes, that's what I want. Now I've done it and I never have to do this again. No, like this is something that regularly needs to be a part of your life, which is checking in with what do I want? You know, having, what do I want as the guiding question for yourself when you're out in the world like, how does this feel in my body? What do I, what do I genuinely want? And sometimes we do have to make decisions against our, our immediate wants for longer term wants, right? Like I never want to go to the dentist in the moment, but I do want to try and keep my teeth healthy for the long run. So sometimes I consciously choose against it in the moment, but to be able to do that in a conscious way, you need to be connected to your desire mm -hmm. in the moment. And, and so many people have been so disconnected from their desire for so long that reconnecting into that and doing that through dating yourself is, is the way to begin for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sarah, um, you are so you, beautiful you, you, and wonderful. I'm so happy to have you on the show tonight. <laughs> 
I, it's a it's a huge pleasure to be here. This is so much fun. I can't believe how fast time seems to have gone chatting with both of you, Gigi and Paul. Like this has been phenomenal. Okay. And Paul, you were going to say something. If you think you have time for one more question, I I did want to ask another question that's kind of near and dear to my heart because it's something I've seen a lot around and it's so like I think that there are a lot of people who have issues around prioritizing themselves who have been taught that it is selfish to have strong desires but there are also a lot of times particularly when you grow up kind of being the odd one out that once you get out of that you can overcorrect and then uh, have issues with not realizing that you might be asking too much of people and sometimes and I think this is an issue I went through for a while is experiencing both of those things happening at the same time where at times I wasn't prioritizing myself because it felt selfish to pursue things that I desired and then I realized that I had this issue and then I wound up over overcompensating and then realizing that like I was asking a lot of the people who loved me and not thinking as much as I should like how big some of the asks I was making were and if if you had a client that was going through that sort of thing what kind of advice would you give them it's a great question and and this is something that I address directly in my work because what you've just described impacts on I would say like the vast majority of the people that I work with and I call it the self-sacrifice to dominance dichotomy so that there's often two ways people try to to go about finding connections and that's either through self-sacrifice so doing what the other person wants always as an approach to trying to to make connections or there's the dominant side which is wanting the other person to always do what you want all of the time and both of them are are forms of of trying to manipulate a situation right that in mm -hmm. the self-sacrifice that's people will connect with me because look at what I'm doing for them they owe me so that's kind of something that you see in like the internet meme about the nice guy trademark is, mm. is a very common attitude that emerges there but the dominant side is equally as manipulative it's you know I will get what I want by controlling the situation always and in both of those cases, like even though they look really different on the surface, like they're actually really similar because neither of them is a vulnerable position, right? It's trying to control another person and they're connecting with you when really you can't control that. What you can control is being connected to your desires, being able to give voice to those in order to be able to connect with people who want the same thing. So way I help clients with this, because most people in society 
get kind of stuck in that dichotomy for a while because it's what's modeled to us. It's what's shown in media. It's like, this is the whole way pickup artists talk about everything. And, and so in a way it makes like, when people hear it, it, it quote unquote feels true. But the reason it feels true is because you see it repeated everywhere. It doesn't have anything to do with its actual veracity or effectiveness in life. And what can help with this, with escaping that like self-sacrifice dominance paradigm is getting in touch with your values because mm -hmm. values is all about a system of prioritization. And the system that I use, like my own unique approach that I've developed while being in practice to help people identify their values is we use a reduction technique that works backwards from pleasure to help people discover their deeply held values. And the reason why that's better, in my opinion, than just looking at a list of values and picking out the ones that like, oh, you know, yeah, I value autonomy and uh, like nature and, you know, it, because they're a lot of times our values are given to us by society, by culture, by our peers, by our family, as the things that we're told that we quote unquote should value. Mm -hmm. And where people sometimes feel off and they don't know why is because those inherited or given values aren't in line with what they actually deeply value as an individual. So discovering your true values is part of what can help with prioritization of your desire from this place of vulnerability, from this place of asking the question, you know, what do I want? Do you want it too? And being totally okay when the answer is no. I think that's it. Both self-sacrifice and dominance are so attached to a specific outcome happening that it's throws a huge spanner in the works when it doesn't occur. And you see this with like online, the nice guy trademark outbursts when they're told no after they've done all of this self-sacrificing to try to connect with somebody. Like the middle path, this separate path, this what do I want desire path doesn't have a an attachment to a specific outcome. And that's part of what makes it so powerful and so able to help people calm down, uh, at least in my clinical experience. So I hope that answers your question in a way. I know I said a lot, but there's a real richness to to what you picked up on. So thank you for bringing that up. Definitely. Thank, thank you. And I think you hit upon a real key word, vulnerability. When we become vulnerable, we're coming from our heart most of the time and when we can mm -hmm. open up and share that part of ourselves that's so scary to share it really mm -hmm. transforms everything it opens the door yeah. to new possibilities <laughs> any thoughts mm-hmm yeah i mean it's true and it's not easy, especially, you know, Paul, you'd said, you know, you use this phrase before about being like the, the odd one out earlier in life. And I think mm -hmm. for those of us who have had that experience, I would count myself there too. You know, one part of my story is 
being horrifically bullied for four years at school and how much of an impact that had on me like you kind of learn that your vulnerabilities if, if that's your background right that these are things that are going to be used against you that it is not safe to to express authentic desire because then those asshole kids are going to use it against you right mm -hmm. if you have any of that in your history like I hear you I feel you I know what that's like and it makes it challenging like that's why we call this work you know like doing the work because because mm -hmm. it is it takes effort and time to make the decision for yourself that okay yeah this is scary and yeah actually like there is a risk i could wind up you know being hurt that somebody might say like yeah no i'm not interested in in what you want or i don't like that and so there's work to be done ahead of time to arrive to a place where you're truly okay with whatever answer and response you might receive before you go into the conversation in the first place. But yeah, like, I don't know. And vulnerability is like, it's a buzzword in a way. And that's in big part because we've had people like Brene Brown talking about vulnerability for the last several years now. So it's in the zeitgeist. And really what I mean by it a lot of times, it's, it's, it's sharing that authentic part. And I think desire is often at the core of vulnerability in a way, mm -hmm. even though that's not how desire is painted in the popular culture, but your authentic desire, your true desire, and in a number of contexts, right? Because sometimes, you know, taking it away from the sexual realm, like, let's say we're in a grief process or we're mourning and maybe our desire in that moment is to share our stories about our lost loved one with somebody that feels vulnerable too. Well, why? Because, because you have this authentic desire, this authentic yearning. And if that desire or yearning gets rejected, like it can create a sense of pain, right? So yeah. there's an intimate connection between desire and vulnerability Mm -hmm. And that can be helpful for thinking about it because I don't know, because vulnerability seems to get stigmatized too in, in society in a way. So instead here, we're talking about like the risks that you're willing to take in service of your desire, because mm -hmm. that's what it comes down to from, from my point of view. Yeah. And how do you think, so uh, what would you say is the best way to authentically go after your desire and be okay with re, uh, like understanding that rejection is a possibility and not fall into the trap of feeling like it's going to hurt if you get rejected, but like not feeling like you are owed anything, not feeling like, because I know that that is an issue that I have had to work through and with in my life that was one of the things that like has been the hardest thing for me to learn is that like yes it is important to go after what I want and part of accepting that going after what I want means that it might not happen and not feeling that 
bile and the like bitterness at like rejection, especially if like it seems like it's gonna go another way for a mm. while. Um, like I I know that I've developed different methods and you know working with Gigi has helped me a lot in this arena but what would you say are good first steps to take to kind of avoid the trap of feeling that jealousy and bitterness at, at rejection? So I mean the the long answer is dignified hedonism and <laughs> and sure. the the whole framework that I use working with clients is is around this ability to go after what you want in an empowered way that recognizes the dignity of everybody involved. But in terms of a, a shorter answer and like a practical place to get started, I think it can be extraordinarily powerful to reframe your mindset about what rejection is. And it can be extraordinarily powerful when you begin to see rejection as doing you a favor. Why is it doing you a favor? Because it's saving you time. So what I encourage my clients to do is when they ask a question, so when they make an ask, maybe they're asking somebody for a date, maybe they're asking for a hookup, maybe they're asking for a certain type of sex play. And if the answer is no, I encourage them to say thank you. And what does thank you mean? It's thank you for taking care of yourself to the other person. And thank you for saving me time. Mm -hmm. Because no is clear. And part of the practice of dignified hedonism, part of very practically what I work on with my clients is when you're asking, you've got to make a lot of space for no to be an answer. Because mm -hmm. remember, most people men and women are socialized to a degree as people pleasers, right? That we don't mm -hmm. like saying no. So you often get a lot of vague responses, which I think for people who are really attached to an outcome and want it to be something different than what it actually is in reality, you know, there can be a lot of this deliberate misunderstanding or not picking up on mm -hmm. communication. So actually for somebody to give you a direct no, like they're being brave when they do that. And it also says something pretty good about you when you get direct responses to, mm -hmm. to asks, because it means that you've created an atmosphere in that interaction with somebody where they trust you enough to tell you directly no. And, and actually in, in cases where you get a, a direct yes as well, that also means you've created in that space trust for someone to tell you a direct answer to a question mm -hmm. and that yeah like that there's enough trust and there's enough feeling of safety to to do so so it's a really good sign when you start moving from getting ghosted or getting vague responses or mm -hmm. you know maybe maybe maybes from people when when it shifts and you start to get no or yes coming through mm -hmm that's a really good sign when that starts happening. Cause it also means you're being much more direct in the questions that you ask mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Thank you. That's a really good answer. And like it, it matches a lot of what, like what I had to go through to, to find in myself. Mm. Yeah. 
and I yeah, think it's it's a journey, right? And yeah. And I think part of it too is learning to trust the universe. The universe is going to guide you in the right mm -hmm. directions if you listen. Sometimes no can be a good thing. Sometimes yes can be a good thing. And it's just following and letting the universe guide you through life. Mm -hmm. Boy, Beautifully the time flies. We're almost yeah. at the end of our show. <laughs> <laughs> Would y'all like to have a takeaway comment? Something that you really feel inspired by this topic. Well, I'd just like to thank you again, Sarah. Is, is that correct? Let me go to my screen. Uh, yeah, I'd like to thank you again, Sarah, for joining us and sharing your expertise and shedding light on, we talk about hedonism and uh, around this topic a lot, but your perspective really helps, I find very elucidating. So thank you. And also, as a segue into another thing, it is if people are interested in in you and the things you have to say, do you have anything to plug like, where people can email you or are there other projects that you're engaged in currently? Sure, yeah, thank you so much for for those warm words. It's been so much fun to to be here and to get to talk with both of you today in terms of you know like a, a takeaway or a parting thought is that dignity is the the missing ingredient to hedonism a lot of the time and when you make a practice because it needs to be a deliberate practice of seeing the inherent worth in yourself and seeing the inherent worth in all of the human beings you come into contact with, even the ones you don't really like, right? But if you get into this practice of recognizing the fundamental worthiness of, of humanity, it starts to change everything. Mm -hmm. And it does make a lot of things feel infinitely easier and more accessible and more beautiful. So my, my parting thought is just to, to say to everybody listening to this, like, you are worthy, even if you don't feel like it right now. And I'd love to invite you to, to explore that for me to plant this little seed and for you to go and, and discover what's there. In terms of how folks can get in touch with me, I would love to hear from you if you've got any questions or if this resonated. Uh, feel free to email me directly. My address is sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at dignifiedhedonist.com. And you can check out my website, which is over at dignifiedhedonist.com. I've got lots of resources there, lots of articles and information that you can dive into. And I've also got like a really cool ebook that you're welcome to, to check out. It's called The Hedonist Guide to Flirting Archetypes. And it's a really handy resource if you feel awkward when it comes to flirting, it's a way simply to go about making flirting easy, fun, and feeling natural. You can get that at dignifiedhedonist.com uh, forward slash flirting dash guide. And Gigi, I can give you the link for that if you want to include it in the show notes to make it easy for people to find. Uh, that ebook is free. So 
that's an offering that I've got for all of you. And yeah, like just to say like my final takeaway is thank you so much for having me on the show. This has been a lot of fun and yeah, time has really flown by, I must say. It always does on this show. And I think my big takeaway for this show is I've gone through a lot of pain in my life and a lot of pleasures. And I think putting the two words dignified hedonist really kind of brings it together in my life in a special way. It has given me a roadmap on how to live in a very communal way, in a way that I love myself and I love others. And it brings the world together in a more complete way, in a more holistic way, where we become more interconnected with each other. And I think for my experience in life, for so long, I didn't trust others. I thought everybody was out against me. And once I learned some techniques and how to love myself and how to connect with others, it really brought it all together for me. And pleasure and pleasuring others was one of the key components. So enjoy your life. Mm. Enjoy those nocturnal emissions. <laughs> Pleasure yourself and have a really awesome time. Live your life. It's a precious gift that we have here to share with one another. And with that, have a good night. I find it interesting that adults in our culture are not provided with informative sexual education. Even married couples don't have access to an adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. I would like to invite you to join me in developing a sex-positive lifestyle with freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions you have for future show topics. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss any episodes. This concludes this edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Sex is the final frontier. So explore everything sexual.